perseverance is by far the key from this entire transaction and just not letting it get you down and, and staying positive and staying focused on what you can control while still trying to get outside of what you can't control. Best ever listeners, wouldn't it be nice to have a $2 million pre-approval line of credit? Uh, just think about that. Isn't that nice? Wouldn't that be nice? How would that help you get more deals done? Because when you submit a pre-approval line of credit with your offer on a fix and flip house, do you think it's going to stand out more? I think so. And our friends at Fun That Flip, you know Fun That Flip, Matt Rodak, he's been on the show before many times. He's a friend of mine. He's also the owner of Fun That Flip and they're a sponsor of today's episode. What they're doing is they're giving a $2 million pre-approval line of credit up to $2 million pre-approval line of credit for qualified buyers. And my gosh, in this competitive buying market, sellers prefer to sell to buyers who have a high likelihood of closing, right? Makes sense. Well, use this pre-approval line of credit from Fund That Flip and that will signal to the seller that you're the real deal and you'll be able to close quickly. It's free. All you got to do is go to fundthatflip.com. You've got to qualify that you have prior experience and there's a process, but it's free and you need to go to fundthatflip.com to get the pre-approval line of credit because this is a way that's going to help your short-term rehab loan happen because you're going to get the deal for the property where you need the short-term rehab loan. Go to fundthatflip.com and get that pre-approval line of credit for up to $2 million. Best ever listeners, hello, how you doing? Welcome to the Best Real Estate Investing Advice Ever show. I'm Joe Fairless. This is a show where we cut out the fluff and we only talk about the best real estate advice that moves your business forward. Well, we've spoken to a lot of best ever guests. This is like episode almost 700, I'm sure. From Barbara Corcoran on Shark Tank to Robert Kiyosaki, the author of Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And actually, because it's Saturday, this is Situation Saturday. So we have a returning guest who had some very insightful best ever advice on the first time we interviewed him, Mike Nuss. And you can listen to that advice on episode 650. So if you want to hear his best ever advice, then go listen to that episode after you listen to this one, of course. With us today, we've got Mike and his business partner, Tyler, and they're going to tell us a fascinating story of how they've had many lessons learned from both partnership and from deal mechanics and due diligence on a deal that they did. So with that being said, Mike and Tyler, you want to give the best ever listeners a little bit more about your background and then we'll roll into the story. Yes, sir. Um, this is Mike, and I will start off. As mentioned in the previous Best Ever interview, I'm a appraiser by trait. I was licensed starting back in 1997 is when I got into the industry. I turned into a full-time real estate investor in 2010 and have been doing that since. Since then, we've grown into brokerage, property management, and lots of different types of investing. Tyler and I actually met in 2010 on this property, the transaction we'll talk about today. A very interesting way for a partnership to start out because of all the complications involved, but it was definitely a good springboard into our career and, and to what we're doing together now. And I'll let Tyler chime in. 
I started out in 2009, right after the crash, doing my first flip with a friend, and that went really well. So we jumped into another one. The second flip turned out to be a complete disaster. <laughs> now I am a licensed real estate broker and have over probably 65 flips under my belt, but this number two was the one that probably should have sunk the ship, and if it wasn't for perseverance and the support around me, I probably would never have made it out of this transaction. Wow. All right. Drum roll on the deal that should have sunk, sunk the ship. Say that five times real fast. All right, Tyler, take it away, my friend. All right. So back in 2009, Portland was flooded with foreclosures, just like everywhere else in the country. We bought this, a bank owned, had a, a list of disclaimers a mile long that we didn't read very carefully. And when we ended up buying it, we just dove into the remodel. It was the cheapest flip we've ever bought. It was $82,000, which in Portland is pretty much a steal. It was in not a great part of town, but definitely not the ghetto. And we went into it with contractors we hired off of Craigslist, getting very little permits. But we started getting permits kind of after the fact, and we ran into an issue where they said, well, you have a basement here. It's in a floodplain, and we're not going to allow you to continue while there's a basement. The basement was pre-existing, but they wanted us to fill the basement in with concrete. Mm, that's a lot of concrete. Yeah, it's a lot of concrete, <laughs> and you're losing a lot of square footage. So it's kind of a, a double blow. So that kind of halted the process, and it, it sat for about two years in a legal battle with the city of Portland trying to figure out how we're going to get out of this project. During that time, the partner I had, he decided he did not have the stomach for real estate and he ended up pursuing a different career. So I bought him out of this project, assuming that you know, I would be able to make money on it. And during those two years of fighting with the city of Portland on trying to prove that the basement was pre-existing, my house became a, a favorite for transients and squatters to come take residence in it. And one time I remember going up to the front door to let a plumber in to look at <laughs> starting to continue the work. And uh, the plumber started trying to open the door and his key wouldn't work. And so <laughs> I came up to the door and we just knocked and someone answered to my surprise. <laughs> and I said, who are you? And he said, I live here. I own this house. And I said, uh, no, you don't. I own this house. And he just kept on saying that he lived here now and the house was his. And apparently the, the squatter had found a website that taught people how to squat and bank owned properties and take control of them through adverse possession. He didn't read the fine print to know that it actually takes longer than two weeks to gain ownership of any piece of property through adverse possession, but two weeks seemed long enough for him. And so he really fought me on coming out of the house. So I had to call the police and it turned into this pretty big deal where the police didn't know how to handle it. They were calling up their chain of command because from their perspective, it was my word against his. He was saying he was the owner. I was saying I was the owner. And if he hadn't produced a receipt for the locksmith that proved that he drilled the locks and entered forcibly, we wouldn't have been able to get him out of the house. But thankfully, he produced that receipt and we were able to get him on burglary. Mm. Wow. 
so he ended up getting charged with burglary or yeah basically he took all the utility bills and put them in his name he just called up each utility company told them that he was the new resident they didn't require any proof they just put the utility bills in his name then he took those utility bills and he showed them to the locksmiths as proof of residence and then got the locksmith to to drill the locks but because he showed that I never let him in the building, we were able to get him out. But he called me about a month before this took place doing his research to find out you know, what properties I owned. And he kind of selected this one as his ideal target. <laughs> I've never had a, a squatter be so premeditated before or after. It makes my skin crawl. The gentleman, uh, no, that's, that's not even the term we should use for a squatter. He called you before he squatted in your house? Yeah, it was the weirdest phone call. He called me. He asked me if this was a company because I owned that property in the S-Corp. Then he started asking me about other properties, and I started getting a weird vibe, and I asked him who he was with, why he was asking me these questions, and he said he was, he was working on a development project for the railroad, and he started talking about how railroad was coming back as the future of transportation. <laughs> and uh, had these big visions for the railroad. And I got off the call with him. I said to my wife, I have a really bad feeling about that phone call. I've, I think someone might try to injure themselves on the property intentionally to sue me or something like that. It turned out that that kind of spidey sense was warranted. Yes, it was warranted. All right, this house, let's start from the beginning because there's a lot of sticky situation aspects to, to what you described. One, you bought it for $82,000. And at least up until this point, you said you've had it in a legal battle with the city on if the basement was pre-existing or not for two years. How much did you put into the property in total? You bought it for eighty-two. On top of that, did you put any money into it? Yeah, I jumped the gun on starting the construction on it. And then I also got kind of misdirected at the front desk at the permit department. And then halfway down the road, then they kind of called a halt to it. So I think I I probably put about 100000 So I was into it about 180 working on the remodel. And then they also told me that I had to reinforce the existing upstairs because it was an unpermitted attic that they had converted 20 years ago. So I had to redo the floor up there, which cost quite a bit. So yeah, I think it was about 100000 into it. Including the unpermitted attic? Yes. So all in, you got one hundred and eighty k. You've got contractors from Craigslist, a partner that fizzled out and doing something else permit battle and the squatter it's just a comedy of errors yeah. at this point and not errors it's a comedy of issues because some of them the squatter thing i mean come on that's just bad luck but i'm curious to know what you do to prevent it later we'll talk about that anything else before we start talking about what you did any other issues that came up that's about it. That yeah, well, that's enough. So what'd you do? You got a contractor, the flood issue, the partner that you bought out, and the squatter. I guess with the squatter issue, there was no internet, and half the time there was even no power, so I couldn't do like a good security system. But I found a security system that was like 
battery operated and didn't require internet. I set that up. I had fake security cameras installed all around the property. And then I had lights on timers going on and off. But no matter what I did, I really could not beat the squatter problem because the location of the house, it was just right on a transient kind of pathway. And it had been identified in the community that it was a vacant house. And there's just uh, short from selling it, there was no way I was going to get off the roadmap from from squatters. Okay. So to prevent it in the future, is it buying a different area plus the fake cameras, the uh, the security system that doesn't require internet and lights? Yeah, I think it's just being more proactive. So I reacted to it after it was already on the map. Um, that's a hard place to come from. I think if I had made sure there was lights, even, you know, um, just making sure you don't have a project that's vacant for that amount of time and making sure that you have it well secured and well lit ahead of time, that, that'll go a long ways. Okay. And then what about the flood stuff? The flood stuff, I ended up doing quite a bit of research and, and ended up finding a friend in the city planning department that really said, okay, here's how you beat this. And he really was extremely helpful on kind of saying, if you get this amount of documentation in these different areas, I think you have a case that we could accept. And so very thankful for the city working with me at that point when I fought in far enough up the ladder, I was able to find someone that was very helpful. And what I was able to do is go to Aerial Historical Photo Society and go through photo documentation of each year until I was able to show that when the work actually happened on the basement and the attic. And essentially, I found a photo that predated the FEMA laws. So it was before 1980, and it showed the dormers being built. And I was able to build a case that the basement was done at the same time of the dormers and that it predated by one or two years of FEMA laws, and I was able to be grandfathered in. Where do you go for the Aerial Historical Photo Society? Is that just a Google search? No, that was a, a local Portland place that was downtown that kept photos of everything in Oregon, and it was, I think, a subsidiary of uh, Oregon State University. So it was a very local thing that, happen to have the documentation I need. That's after two years? Yes, after two years. In the friend that you had in the planning department, did you have that friend before you started the process or did you make that friend during the process? It was during the process and it wasn't, I wouldn't even call him a friend. I would just say he was friendly towards my case. Mm -hmm. You know, he was someone that just was extremely helpful in letting me pick his brain about how to tackle this problem because he saw that this project was burying me. So for people who come across this very specific issue, but I think there are applications, even if there's not a flood issue, maybe it's some sort of improvement issue, then one idea is to get photo documentation to see if there's a local resource that has that to show that it predates whatever ordinance that they're trying to enforce. Yes, if it's an applicable issue that can be grandfathered in. And I just say the other takeaway is that be nice to the people in the city, even if you feel like you've been wronged. Be humble and 
be honest with the trouble that they're causing, but don't blame it all on one person and, and treat each person with respect and humility. And eventually you're going to run across someone that's going to help you. And what about these contractors from Craigslist? Do they turn out okay? <laughs> As you could guess, no. <laughs> I ended up going through several different general contractors until I hired a friend with a GC that went in and kind of fixed all the poor workmanship that was done before so it could actually have it legally permitted and ready to sell. What happened to unpermitted attic? We had to cave there. We ripped up all of the finished spaces and had to reinforce everything per engineered plans that we had to have drawn up to make sure that there was enough support there to be counted as living space. When the dust settled, was 180000 your all-in cost? Yeah, I think it was probably closer to 185 or 190 And then we sold it for, I think, around 210 So with... 160 Was it? Yeah. Okay, yeah, we sold it for <laughs> 60 So we, yeah, we, I took with, with realty costs close to $60,000 loss on it. Yeah, you just kind of blacked that part out, right? Right. <laughs> True. That's what my memory is for. Yeah, exactly. And that was over two years. Well, by the time it was sold and closed, it had been three years. Three years. Yeah. Was that stopping you from doing a lot of other deals? No, it actually motivated me to do more deals. I seriously considered retiring as a real estate professional. And I looked at other career options and I looked at how much I had made on my first deal and how much I knew I could make with the knowledge I had. And I saw that $60,000 figure starting to loom as, as it got closer and I realized how much I was going to lose and realized that the only way for me to dig myself out of that hole is to go do more real estate transactions. Well, is there anything else that you want to mention as it relates to the story that we haven't talked about? As a side note, what I just like, this is Mike, what I'd like to point out is Tyler hit a crossroads there towards the end, and he had two decisions. One, and I'll correct him, is retire as a failed real estate <laughs> or move forward and learn and become a professional. And that's the route he chose. And understanding more about Tyler, that it's expected of him. You know, He's going to go the professional route. But when we have these problems, that's what we have to look at is, well, do we want to put the tail between our legs and move forward and just take our lumps or are we just going to give up? And in real estate, someone stated this to me the other day is you either fail enough times to quit or learn enough experience and go forward or you find people that help you. And if we look at all these scenarios as this is tough, this is tough and we back out and don't succeed, we're never going to get where we want. So perseverance is by far the key from this entire transaction and just not letting it get you down and, and staying positive and staying focused on what you can control while still trying to get outside of what you can't control. I love it. I and completely agree. Other, other projects simultaneously really kept my spirits up. I mean, if I just shut everything else down and just focused on that one, that still would have been a form of perseverance, but it would have been the wrong mood because the only thing I had, would be working on is something that's negative. So getting other positive transactions in the pipeline was crucial to keeping my morale up and moving forward. Well, where can the best ever listeners learn more about you two and your company? 
Our website is rarebirdinvestors.com, and that's where they can find our bios and other resources that we've put up there. One of our missions as a company now is to help other investors avoid issues like this in the future. Mm-hmm. Well, I am so glad to hear that because that's exactly what you have done by being on this podcast. Help other investors, some of the best ever listeners, avoid some of these pitfalls. And we are all very much appreciative of you two coming on the show. So thank you for sharing your sticky situation this Saturday and talking about the lessons that you've learned from it, as well as the corrective actions that you take now with contractors. Don't get them on Craigslist. Find (laughs) referrals from people you know and then work with them. Squatters. Buy in a better area, have lights on timers, fake security cameras, and battery-operated security system if you need it. There's some other security systems out there now that are pretty good that are good for this. Flood, where you had to find documentation that it predated a certain ordinance so you could be grandfathered in. Plus, be nice to the people in the city. Be transparent about what's happening to your business because... That angle can also work with them, but usually it's not one person's fault, especially with a government or a municipality. There's many, many people that are decision makers and there's a lot of red tape. So not blaming it on one person and eventually turning them into an ally helped you out. Um, And then the $185,000 all in price, selling it for 160, you know, it happens. And I think if that's going to be your biggest hit, then congratulations, actually. (laughs) I think that's great. You two are going to do phenomenally well and will continue to do phenomenally well based on the stories I've heard and my own personal experience. So thank you so much for being on the show. Love the parting advice where you fail enough times to either quit or you find enough people to help you out. It's very true. So thanks for being on the show. Hope you have the best ever weekend. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Thanks. Best ever listeners, Matt Bowles, who was a guest on episode 289. His company, Maverick Investor Group, has a special report just for you on how to avoid the seven biggest mistakes in real estate that investors make in the 2016 boom cycle. Get yours free at maverickinvestorgroup.com forward slash best ever. That's M-A-V-E-R-I-C-K investorgroup.com forward slash best ever.